Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we have a jam-packed Q&A, very in-depth Q&A. Today, we had some really long questions, so we answered less questions, but I went really deep into some specific nutrition advice, specific training advice, talking about planning your meals and actually being able to eat when you don't have an appetite because of stress and anxiety, and we touched base a little bit on the update with Tailored Coaching Method, the, the stickers on the walls that are going up, and the nightmare that we saw with that, having a forklift parked at my house in front of the driveway. So that's a long story, but you will get in, uh, get the inside scoop on that as well as the brand, as well as some really, really cool in-depth questions that I think are going to be extremely applicable to everybody listening to this. So I'm excited for you guys to listen to this. Um, before I let you guys jump into the podcast, please do me a huge favor. If you haven't yet, go check out the new website, tailoredcoachingmethod.com. Check out the Instagram, check out the YouTube video. All these things are going to be in the show notes. I really want you guys to understand why we made this change and understand what our story and what our brand is all about. So any liking, commenting, sharing feedback on those things would be greatly appreciated all right without any further ado let's jump into this episode dude that sticker outside yeah it's massive yeah it's huge even the even the the guy that Do you know the dimensions 35 feet long and just over 10 feet tall damn yeah i told my mom last night i threw numbers out i was like it's probably like 29 feet long 11 feet high 29 yeah. And 11, that's a random. I just, well, you said in your snap, you said it was over 10 feet. So I think it uh, can't be that much yeah. over 10 feet. So I said 11. And um, then I just guessed it was 29. I didn't know. Cause like originally I was like, hey, the, the wall is 50 feet long. Oh, there you go. So can we do 40 feet? That's why it's like 10 feet in. She was like, yeah. And then she sent me the bill and I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's a lot of money for a sticker. Yeah. And she's like, uh, she's like, honestly, that, that's really big. Like really big. And I was like, okay, what's the size down? And I think it's like just under 35. So it's probably like 32 or something like that. And I was like, okay, let's do that. And then even, like I said, CEO is out there right now helping the guys put it up. And he was like, that's big, dude. Yeah. That's really big. Like, I don't think they do stickers this big very often. Cause even like the ones at other Oops. gyms I've seen aren't that big. Yeah. But I was like, dude, I didn't really know. And like, I didn't throw the lady under the bus. But was like, she didn't really like help me on like what I was like, hey, I've never put a, massive sticker on a wall can you give me some idea of like yeah. what's a guidance size? so but i think it looks dope i think you want to pay this sure i'm down <laughs> want to what the lady she's like if you want to pay this please play you yeah know? no shit she's a salesman <laughs> i'll make it as big as possible yeah but i think i think it's it was funny because on monday when they came in it's like one guy and he like undid the sticker on the turf and just like spread it out you know to look at it and he had his like little ladder and he was like hey man there's no way that i can put this up by myself like just to get to the top letter, my ladder doesn't reach high enough. Yeah. <laughs> like we need a forklift. Um, actually I might as well tell this whole story. This is fucking ridiculous. And uh, it's just hilarious. And that's why the CEO is down here. Yeah. Um, great company. I've seen, I, I've, I've had them, I've seen their work at multiple gyms. Um, I want to say they did like Microsoft and Nike lab and stuff like that too. So a really well-known company. But um, on Monday, the guy comes in it's too big for one man. And I'm like, okay, well, you guys probably should have sent two people. And he's like, dude, that's our fault. Like I'm going to, we'll, we'll bring a forklift and, and I'll have some other guys. Um, and we're missing a big chunk of the sticker. So we got to reprint. And I was like, okay, whatever. Don't worry about it tomorrow morning. So the next day, uh, they call and they're like, Hey, we can't come today, but we're going to bring the forklift today. And then we'll be there Wednesday morning. I was like, all right, that's cool. Um, I go home to get, uh, I went home to get the post office key or something like that because I was going to the post office. And I pull up to my driveway, and there's a forklift backed up up the driveway because I have the little hill of a driveway sideways parallel in the middle in front of my garage, like really close underneath that little thing. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck is that doing there? Like, first of all, Shannon's blocked in the garage. She's not getting out. So I called them, and they brought it to the wrong place. So they brought it to my house instead of the warehouse. And yeah. I'm like, god damn it. So then they come and get it. 
from the warehouse and they bring it here in which you saw they come and get it from your house they came and got it from my house and they brought it to the warehouse and it is so damn close if, if anybody listening saw my story you would know what i'm talking about it's so funny they, it was literally at first i was pissed but then i couldn't help but laugh it was so close to the front door that you could barely get in I like pull, i pulled in before you and i thought it was a prank literally i was like dude he's not here where's where's cody yeah I was at the barber shop, and then I'm like calling all these people, like, like where's the forklift fuel? Like, and it was, but it was so damn, like, dude, we were like, like the door handle was like jabbing us in the stomach. Yeah. Like, I couldn't fit my bag through there. Actually, I had to like take stuff out of my bag, and like, it was so ridiculous. And then they come the next day and they move it, and they messed up the print. So now it's Thursday. We're here again. Only half a sticker. Only half a sticker. The CEO is outside right now doing the sticker with them, making sure shit gets done. Which I will say is like really good customer service because he's like, it's not on anybody. It's on me as a leader to like teach them exactly every single step. And there's somewhere it was flawed. Like I apologize. I wanted to get down here myself. I was like, that's dope. Like yeah. you came out of your way. Like you're up way up in Seattle. So this is a, this is a drive. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was cool. And the sticker looks fucking great. It's huge. Um, so I'm excited about that. I want to try to get the, I, I bought double-sided tape for the mirrors, like really heavy-duty mirror yeah, tape. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to try to get those up before Powell gets here. So we can try to get those mirrors up. Um, but it's come together, man. Yeah. I think like once – so I like I told you, I ordered that little the, – the cable machine. That should be here within the next week or so. Um, but after that, like we're done, dude. Like it's finally – it's really cool to Waiting. see. Not only is everything actually done. We have all the equipment in, all the flooring, the walls, the stickers. Everything's done. But the announcement is revealed, yeah. which was like, dude, last night I was literally like – so much weight off my shoulders. Like I literally had anxiety all morning, especially because I woke up and I was like, why isn't the site live? Like what's going on? And basically it took way longer to back up and propagate because we have so much content backed up on that website. That's just from eight plus years of creating content. Yeah. Um, but I was just like that woke up first thing in the morning and I literally rolled out of bed and went tailoredcoachingmethod.com enter. And it was like, not there. And I'm like, (laughs) what the fuck? And I just (laughs) started freaking out. And all day, man, just built up. Like, literally. And then it was like, okay, it's halfway up. Like, you can go to it. But then it redirects you to Boom Performance. But everything's there. Kind of confusing. But we're not going to delay the launch. Now everything's set. Like, you go to tailoredcoachingmethod.com. It's, everything's done. Um, it- but it was like, I remember it being like, after they said everything's finished, we're just waiting for the URL to finally switch at like 10 a.m. And I was waiting for 12 to post. And I'm just like looking at my clock every – because I got home. Shannon's like, man, today went fast. I was like, today went so slow. Because I literally was staring at my watch all day, looking at notifications, looking at this, trying to check this, making sure the website's good. So it feels good to have that fucking just done, man. Um, really good responses too. Yeah. Everybody's great been, feedback. Everybody's been really responsive to it. Super supportive. Um, I'm really excited for. So we're changing the design on the Elite Portal, the membership site, um, to match the new website so it looks cleaner. And then we're obviously changing the name to the Tailored Trainer, which I think is a yep. really good way to do, go about that. Um, cause it is literally a trainer in your pocket, but I'm excited, man. I think this is going to be a really good move. I think it describes what we do better. And I'm just like, I'm so stoked for the team to be able to grow into this new name and like really, again, like put your foot in the cement of like, this is what we do. This yeah. is who we are. You know what I mean? And it just represents everybody. It's a bold on the statement. It is, man. I love it. But I think like, I mean, you, you know, this better than anybody, like, because you see the back end, like we hold our coaching to such a high standard as far as like who you are, the education you have, the experience you have, the certifications you have. So everybody on the team is so overly qualified that I have no single doubt in my mind about coining that term as what we do and who we are. Um, So it feels good, man. I think it's really cool. You know what I mean? I'm I'm excited about it. Um, I'm excited about the the education inside the group going forward too. I think you saw a little bit about that on the the team. Like we're setting up team presentations where we can all educate each other on a monthly basis. Which I don't think many coaches do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that's like missing in the space. There's still that you uh, hold your coaches to that standard too. Yeah, I mean, you don't hire any less. Or I think that I see, you know, because I same from everybody. I see, I see so many coaching companies that neglect that side of things, and yeah. I think that like they have coaches that are great people, but they're not experts. Yeah, and like I want a team of great people who are experts. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And yeah. I think that like if I don't hold them, very selective. Yeah, and if I don't hold them to that standard, it's like what are we creating here? And it's hard to do as a leader. You know what I mean? Because like sometimes you got to get on people or make sure people are learning and push them constantly be like, keep educating. What's the next cert? What's the next book? Are you reading this? And I'm like sending them shit all the time. 
Um, but then it also keeps me accountable because like if I'm saying that, I better be doing the same shit. Yeah. So I'm reading, I'm reading fucking textbooks and looking at certifications and doing all that shit on a daily basis too. So um, it's good, man. I think this is like the best move we've made in a while and i'm excited for this to a while to grow That's it's awesome. the biggest move you yeah. know what i mean and i'm excited dude i think this is going to be the start of something really epic yep so i'm pumped dude That's sick man all right so uh we're going to get into the q a here yep we got some great questions for today um we're going to start off with a long one and it's from emma is this from facebook uh i believe so yeah so just says emma Oh, this is from the podcast Q&A. By the way, guys, there's always a link in the description. It's a form that you can fill out. Um, so if you fill that out, your name, your email, and then you give me your question, that way I can email you back if I have any response that needs immediate attention or anything like that. But that's how we can get questions for this too. So if you have a question, click the, the form in the, the description. A lot of these questions uh, are better to answer on the podcast. Yeah. All right. So uh, she says, currently in a reverse diet after losing 50-ish pounds in 2019. I followed your advice on where to go with my na- my macros during the reverse, and my current macros are set at 130 protein, 180 carbs, and 50 fat. My pro my problem is most days I go over on protein and under on carbs. I know 130 pro 130 protein is already on the higher end of what I need. So I guess my question is: Is it a problem for me to hit more like 160 carbs and 150 protein? There's more. I know it won't be more beneficial. I just really like eating protein more than carbs. Part of this is because carbs usually tend to trigger binges for me, whereas protein does not. I, do, I don't eat red meat, and I'm getting plenty of fiber as I eat a ton of veggies each day. Just wondering if this is okay or if I should try and find more carbs than I can tolerate without eating the whole house. Thank you for, thank you for all, always, and I love your content. Um, so this is a really cool one because she has DM'd me probably like eight times that's an exaggeration, not eight times, but many times over the last like six plus months, Mm -hmm. because she asked a question like literally like a year ago, maybe now, like you can correct me if I'm wrong, Emma, but a while ago about what she should do with a reverse diet. And I gave her like specific advice of like, do this, do this, hit these carbs. She did it. And then she hit me up months later and was like, Hey, I lost four pounds and I'm eating more food. What would you do next? And I was like, do this. And then she did it again. She's just been crushing it. Dope. So I thought that was really cool. Is she a client? No, she just, she just asked a podcast question yeah. and that's like, I was just like, yeah, I would bump up your carbs by about 10%. I would yeah. do this. Like when you start feeling this, adjust this, I just like kind of spitball like what I would do yeah. and she was just proactive about it. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a good question because I think, um, a lot of people utilizing the resources. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's so and that's, dude, I always tell people like fucking ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> that's powerful. Yeah. Um, so I think this is a good question because I think a lot of people, look at reverse dieting as like calories, like we're increasing calories. And although that is true and calories overall are the thing we're trying to uh, expand and grow, if we are increasing protein in order to do that beyond a means of what is really optimal or what is even useful, which she is, you basically are introducing more and more calories that aren't going to have the same metabolic effect. And what I mean by that is like, okay, so if we, she's eating, she said she weighed what, like 108 pounds now? I think she, I think maybe I'm tripping. No. Oh, after losing 50 ish pounds. Yeah. Da, 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 da. She doesn't say. Oh, I thought she said, Oh, she, I'm sorry. I deleted that part of the question. Cause there oh. was, there was more of the question that I just narrowed it down for oh, you. Gotcha. Um, but she's like five, three, 108 pounds okay. now. So she's eating 50 grams more than her body weight, which is probably more than necessary. 130 grams is already more than her body weight. So I wouldn't go past that. There's no reason for it. Um, the most I would go, like, here's the thing too, is like you could eat 150 grams of protein and you would be safe. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you'd be more satiated, so on and so forth, but you're essentially raising a, a, a nutrient that is going to be utilized and maximum, maximally utilized. And then everything else is going to get basically just pissed out and just wasted. Or your body is going to start taking protein and converting it into glucose, which is gluconeogenesis. And this process of taking amino acids and trying to create glucose in your body is very inefficient. Carbohydrates are glucose. So making glucose in your body out of glucose is a very quick, easy process. Um, And it's a better fuel source. So you're basically wasting your calories on something that isn't going to give you much benefit. Um, And when we increase calories from something like protein that is just getting wasted, it's not getting utilized for things like your metabolism, your thyroid, cortisol reduction, things like that. It might be to a small amount because it's calorie still, but not to the greatest amount like carbs would. And if you're doing a reverse diet for the sake of physiologically feeling better, you should probably increase carbs. Um, 
Now, that being said, if you enjoy eating 150 grams of protein, you don't feel bloated, you don't have gut issues, so on and so forth, you can eat that much. Just don't go over that. It's already plenty. But dropping your carbs down in order to increase protein and keeping calories the same is far less beneficial than bringing carbs up to hit that calorie. So like, let's say you're at 150 protein, 130 carbs, um, and the same calorie, cause they both have four calories per gram. You could switch and go 130 protein, 150 carbs. You would get a bigger metabolic bang for your buck from that. And you'd have the same caloric intake, but you're getting more out of it. Yeah. So I probably would recommend making the shift. The only thing I would add on top of that is you have to be very selective with what kind of carbs you intake. I think a lot of people get so stuck in this flexible dieting that carbs are carbs. But the reality is, is there are carbs that trigger binges. There are carbs that trigger, uh, just trigger you to eat more and, and to have, it is a insulin and blood sugar response, but it's also just a psychological response um, to highly palatable foods. So there's two things to remember here. Number one, consider removing any type of carb from your house that does trigger those responses. So, and this doesn't even just mean carbs. So for everybody listening, there's so many different things. Um, I know for me back in the day, it was uh, cashews. My parents, when I lived with them, like when I was trying to start losing weight, I was like, oh, I'm just going to eat healthy food. And they would buy those Costco-sized salted cashews. And I'm like, oh, that's healthy. And I would just fucking eat like thousands of calories in cashews while watching TV and I never lose weight. And it's like, what's going on here? It's like, well, that was a trigger food. I had to remove it for me. Um, and that's why in my house today, there's, it's like our, our pantry and fridge is kind of limited to what we actually consume a lot of. Now I'm at a point now where I don't have those triggers. So it doesn't matter. Cause I have a daughter. Like there's plenty of like, we have Oreos and chips Ahoy and shit in the, in the pantry for her every once in a while. Um, and that's fine. I don't yeah. get triggered to eat that. Back in the day, I probably would have. But yeah. for people who do get that trigger, you just got to remove the shit. If it's yeah. not there, you won't eat it. Yeah. Um, if it is there, it's going to get eaten at some point in time. And the thing with this to remember too, and I talked about this on the episode with Dr. Mel Davis, self-discipline, and this is debatable, but self-discipline is limited. And I believe this, I truly believe this. Um, and there is research to show that like you actually use energy creating like decisions, right? So when I have to f- use self-discipline to make a decision to say no to the cookies in the pantry, I am using energy and willpower to say no. It's not infinite. Yeah. So when I wake up and I walk in there to grab my vitamins and I see the Oreos, I say no, no big deal. Then I come back in lunch to make a sandwich, no. Then I come back at dinner, no. By, by the time dinner's over and I've had work, I've had family stuff, I've had all these things, my willpower is gone, I'm going to say yes to the cookies. Yeah. But if they weren't there, I would have never used any of that willpower to say no and I would have never had the issue of eating them. So it's literally just remove them and then it's completely gone. The other side of that is highly palatable foods. Um, and we have an interview – Actually, it might be out before this episode now with the guy that wrote Hungry Brain, yeah. um, Dr. Stephen Guinea. And this is what we talk about in that episode. The 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 brain has these signals that gets uh, from foods that are highly palatable. So a good example of this that I like to use with healthy foods is um, one of my favorite me- – Every it's so funny. Every time like it's like my birthday, Father's Day, I always ask for the same thing. I want a big-ass steak and I want a big sweet potato baked with grass-fed butter and salt on it. Like Johnny's, but most people listening probably don't know what Johnny's is. That's a Washington thing. Is it? Yeah, you didn't know that? All right, keep Johnny's factory is in Tacoma. Um, so a lot of people, I've said this and people are like, what the fuck is Johnny's? And I'm like, you don't know what Johnny's is? Oh, no way. It's so good. Um, it's really just salt and garlic powder. Yeah. But um, so this sweet potato, right? I could have the sweet potato by itself and I could eat like a normal amount, like a human and be done. Um, even with salt, normal amount. But the second I combine carbohydrates with fat and salt, there's a chemical reaction of those three things combining that basically makes my taste buds go crazy and you can overeat. So there's actually like signals in your brain that turn off and allow you to keep eating. So I can get extremely bloated and just full on a sweet potato with butter and salt because it's carbs, so sugar, fat, and then salt. Um, And if you look at fast food, if you look at chips, if you look at anything, fat, sugar, salt, you put those three together and it triggers people to keep eating. And that's how these food companies actually build and design their treats and their meals and their fast food based on that triggered response, which is nuts. They're tricking people to overeat. Um, so for those binges, it could be as simple as that, like split your meals up. So if if you look at your meals, like, Oh, well, I always put these two things together and it's really hard for me to stop, separate them, eat them in two different meals or two different times. Um, and try to eliminate that. An easy way to do that is if you have, and this is why bodybuilders do like very plain meals. You have your protein by itself, you have your carb by itself, and then your fat for the meal is oil that you cook in. It's not going to trigger that same response because it's not like nice butter or nuts or avocado or something over it that you can physically taste. Just olive oil. Yeah, yeah, just olive oil. Cooking the olive oil, coconut oil, and it's just part of your meal. Um, 
But the big point here is, is you have to try to eliminate those highly palatable foods and maybe just stick to really simple foods. Studies do show that the more simple your foods are, the easier it is to stay consistent. Um, and that's why restrictive diets do work for temporary periods of time is because it's really hard to overeat. Yeah. Because it's simple. Yeah. So maybe you just resort down to like a couple carb sources that you know don't cause triggers and then just stick with those. So if sweet potatoes don't cause triggers, stick with that. Oats, stick with that. Rice, stick with that. And then you're good. I think that's that's really what it comes down sure. to. Um, that way you can kind of do what I'm saying with increasing carbs in the reverse, but then you can also not worry about the, the binges. For sure. Nice. All right. So next question. It's from Allie Peterson. Any deadlifting and squatting tips and cues for people with long legs? I am fairly new to deadlifting. I feel like I have to bend down so far to pick up the bar off the ground. And when squatting, sometimes I feel like a newborn baby giraffe. That's awesome. I do not have that problem. No. <laughs> I'm 5'9". Five 5'10 nine. Five if I'm wearing my Air Maxes. Elevated? Um, like, should she elevate? Yeah. Yeah, I think that like there's a few things here to do. Um, for the deadlift, 100% elevated. I think that... A lot of people get stuck in this mindset of like to do a true deadlift, you have to pull from the floor. It's like the more and more I've lifted, the lo- the more or the less and less I have an ego. And I'm just like, I just don't even care. Like I'm just going to modify everything to feel good mm-hmm. because why not build muscle and strength and not hurt? Like unless you're competing in powerlifting, there's no reason to like feel like you have to pull from the floor. because you can't elevate yeah. it during and, the competition. And here's the thing too. Is, like I said, I'm 5'9". I have short femurs. Um, like I'm, I'm built for that. Like I'm not like a long, tall person. But I still elevate the plates because I've had low back issues. And I know for me personally, if I pull from the floor, my back rounds. So even on an RDL, I will lower till about like two inches before the plates touch the floor. And then I pop back up. Because if I go all the way to the floor... I get that round rounding of my lumbar spine at the very end. So if you watch somebody do an RDL, like if you let the the bar like basically slide. Sorry, you're saying a barbell RDL. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You just keep it really close, slide down your legs, and then right before um, the bottom, you're just looking at your your posture in your back. So I'll watch somebody, and basically they're hinging, 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 or sorry, it would be the other way, hinging, hinging, and then right when I see that round, I yeah. say you're too far. Yeah. Right. And and people are like, well, I'm not touching the ground. It's like. What well, does it matter? Because all we're trying to target with an RDL is maximally lengthening your hamstring. Yeah. So if you're sitting into your glutes, you're sitting in your hamstrings, you're getting that good stretch on your hamstrings and your glutes, um, and then you pop back through, you're perfect. Yeah. You don't need to touch the floor, especially if it's causing your back to round. Um, uh, the other thing with this too is like even for me as, with a low back issue, if I'm pulling heavy deadlifts, I'll pull from the floor, and then I don't do a negative. So another thing to do is like pull from the floor off of plates and then just drop the bar. Yeah. A deadlift from the floor is a concentric based lift. It's not meant to, it's not really meant for hypertrophy. It's meant for strength. So an RDL is meant for hypertrophy. You want to slow down the negative and stretch the muscle and feel that big tension on a deadlift from the floor. You're just trying to pull up maximally explosively and then just drop the bar. Um, so if you're controlling the negative too slow on a deadlift, I would, I would sub that. I would also go sumo deadlift. People who have longer legs always do better with sumos because it's different leverage points. You can sit more upright. You sit into your glutes a little bit more. You have a way wider base. I mean, you remember like when we used to like me and Theo would be deadlifting. I'd be have like a narrow stance on plates and he would have a super wide sumo where his like toes were almost fucking touching the plates. Yeah. He has super long legs. Yeah. So you can uh, switch to a sumo. Helps a ton. Just a wider um, stance. It's just a wider stance with yeah. your toes, toes are pointed, pointed out slightly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you can sit into it more. So the best things for you to do for a deadlift for tall people are going to be definitely sumo. Um, elevate the, the plates onto risers, just like a, like a 45 pound bumper plate. If not two, if you need to. Um, depending on how tall you are. Yeah. And I think you'll, you'll be fine. Like it's just, it's just modifying the lift. And then with squats, you can definitely elevate your heels. Um, I usually would recommend that to people. Um, but you're also going to have to really, really focus on ankle mobility because even if you open up or elevate your heels, if you can't have good ankle mobility and let your knee glide forward over the foot, you're not going to have that upright position. Um, so almost every squat is going to be like a good morning. You're going to be basically like sitting way far back into it, making it super glute dominant. Yeah. And your back's going to hurt. So the best thing there is you can get a, a little bit of a wider stance on that too. I know some people that have longer legs that do squats, um, not a full sumo stance, but like a wider squat stance as well with their toes pointing out. Um, and studies have shown that you're not going to have less quad hypertrophy by doing that if you're overloading properly. Um, and if you are, it's very, very minimal. So you don't need to go super close stance on a squat just because it's a squat and it's quad dominant. So I would go, 
go with a slightly wider stance if you need to, um, elevate your heels, work on ankle mobility, um, and then potentially uh, switch to a safety bar squat or a front squat if you can. Because when you're loaded in the front or you have a safety bar, it's easier to stay upright versus a back squat. Sometimes it's it's easy to like lean your, your chest forward. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, we'll do uh, next question. Comes oh, there's a long one. Damn, it's like full page. All right, you ready for this one? Mm-hmm. All right, I apologize in advance if this drags on. <laughs> nice, but I want to give you the full picture. I started my fitness journey two and a half years ago by joining a local boot camp and started working out five to six days a week, mostly a combo of uh, hit and weights. I had already been tracking my food, not macros though, just managing calories and start, started eating cleaner and upped my protein. Saw some results as far as increased energy and strength, but nothing huge. Definitely formed some good uh, eating habits. Fast forward to January 2019, when I started tracking macros, I did some research online and filled out a, like five free macro calculator and used the numbers I thought fit best. I started a cut and definitely saw results. I upped my calories by a few hundred because I had super low energy and continued my cut for 8 to 12 weeks. It was the first time in my life as, a for, as I am 40 years old after two babies that I saw any semblance of abs and muscle definition. I, I reversed up to maintenance through, throughout March and April and stayed around 1,700 calories. I'm a petite 5'2 at the time, about 180. 110, 112 pounds. I stayed I stayed at maintenance until three weeks ago. I started a cut, which I had planned to do, but not until spring to lean out a little bit. I had put on an, a little extra holiday weight. I was up to 120 and want to get lean again before summer. My question is, going forward, should I continue to cut for eight weeks and then reverse to maintenance? Should I do, a refeed, should I do any refeed days or diet breaks? I've been listening to your podcast and loving all the information you give, but I am a little bit overwhelmed. So many things to consider in this whole process. I know it's better to just do it and adjust as necessary, but I'd like to be smart about it. Besides continuing with boot camp, I've, I've just started weight training at home, although with a limited equipment at the moment. Slowly starting to build a home gym, but I don't want to get, or I don't want to get just lean. I also want to build muscle. I'm not training for anything in particular, just enjoying being healthy and liking seeing the positive changes in my body. Thank you for all the great content you put out there. I'm definitely learning from you. So, first of all, I should keep this up. Sorry about that. That's the only one I skipped on uh, <laughs> shortening for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sometimes I try to like read them and then like. say you've already answered this. Short, no. <laughs> shorten them and then like just leave like what is the question that way because i'm like okay so this person is blah 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 um that's cool can i see casey yeah she she left a long one well done um this is exactly what i'm talking about it's taking advantage um i just wanted to see if she did uh did she say she lost weight two and a half years ago joined blah 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 got it um okay so first and foremost is uh it's very hard for me to give too specific of information without me. Cause like right now I would be like, Hey, what was the last diet you had? What was the last weight loss process? Like, um, how, how could, yeah. When was your last cut? How, how consistent are you right now? How consistent were you? What it, what does that weight training look like that you just started? You know, because I know a lot of people will start weight training and I'm not going to make a huge nutrition adjustment while starting that because that's two variables that we don't know which one created the change like let's just weight train right now and then we'll change nutrition afterwards one variable change at a time um but that being said i'm I'm just giving you context like as a coach it's my job to say like okay this is good information but what about xyz xyz like and then get more context and dive in deeper the second thing i want to say too is you know like i think this is a she brings up a really good point of like she's like man i've been listening to all your podcasts but i feel overwhelmed sometimes we give so much information and so much value inside of all the, the content, all the education and everything. But I want everybody listening to this to know there is no better route than coaching. And like I'm, I'm just going to take a minute to give a shameless plug. So if you don't want to hear it, you can fast forward. But the point being is if you are struggling with your weight, if you're struggling with your body, if you're struggling with building muscle, if you're struggling with performance, if you're struggling with staying consistent, if you're struggling understanding how to utilize all the methods and strategies that I talk about on this podcast with diet breaks and refeeds and cycling and maintenance phases and periodization, hire us. 
It's literally what we do. That's why we change our name to the tailored coaching method is because we take all these strategies on our website. It says helping average individuals understand advanced strategies to achieve above average results, which I think really describes what we do really well. Taking somebody who's average, making them above average with all these strategies, but we're going to educate you on how to use them in the process. So although I can teach you guys quite a bit on this show about these strategies, I can't always teach you about the exact application of those because that application changes with each and every individual. So if you're listening to this and you are confused, if you are somebody who doesn't fully understand how to implement some of these things, hire us. Apply for coaching. And and at the least, like if you're considering it, just click the link in the description and get on a call with us. It's completely free. We'll talk on the phone. We'll tell you exactly what's going on with you, why we think you're stuck, and how we will help. And if we don't feel like we can help you or if there's somebody better, we'll tell you that too because we're very honest and authentic. Um, But I just have to say that because I think – I think there is a time where, you know, like I, I remember even in like as I was getting into this stuff at the beginning, it's like, man, this stuff sounds so cool. How do I put it into action? And I think that's where people are missing, right? There's that big gap. Um, and if that's you, I, w- I want, I'm like, I'm calling you out because we want to help you. Like those are the people we help. We help the people who want to understand this stuff on a deeper level and get the best results possible. Um, For sure. So click the link if that is you. Now, as far as what's her, what's her name? Casey. Casey. Um, so Casey, should you cut for eight more weeks? I would say like it, it, in all, it, it, assuming that you are in a good position, assuming that your body is physiologically ready to diet, like you are healthy, you aren't overly stressed, you're not overtraining, which I don't think you are, um, and you didn't just come off a huge cut or, or deficit or anything like that, um, which you'll know right away because if, if you did any of those things, if you're not in a good place and you try to diet, your body's not going to respond well and you'll know and you just got to get out of that and stay at maintenance for a little longer. Um, but should you cut for eight more weeks? She said eight more, assuming that she already started the cut, right? Yeah, correct. Okay. So probably, like probably, um, like I said, in, uh, the, I, I don't remember what podcast it was. We were, I think maybe it was the nutritional periodization. Like I typically will recommend, you know, like let's stay in a cut for anywhere between 12 to 20 weeks, 20 weeks being the end where somebody has way more weight to lose 12 being the average person who just wants to shed, you know, five to 20 pounds. Like let's spend 12 to 16 weeks dieting hard for that. Um, 20 to 24 weeks if you have 50 to 100 pounds to lose. But we spend a, a solid block of time doing a serious diet phase where we put you in deficit, we push forward, we grind after it. You do implement diet breaks. Um, how you should implement those is all individual. I have some clients that uh, every second week is a a diet break, every third week is a diet break, or every fourth week is a diet break, and it's a full week. I have other clients where we take uh, two days every 10 days or two days every 14 days. Um, I have some clients that those two days become three. Um, It's so dependent on the individual. I look at what are your stress levels like? How do you respond to carbohydrates from what I've seen in the past? Um, What is your training like? How glycolytic is your training? And uh, what is the ending physique that you want to look like? If you're just looking for weight loss, it's not as important. If you're looking for like to look lean, muscular, like you want density, we need to replenish glycogen more frequently because that supports training that keeps your muscles full, so on and so forth. And we'll do that then. Um, and then I have other clients too. Like uh, I, have an, I have a guy right now who we have pretty high carb days and then we have really low carb days. Um, and the reason is, is because he, he fills up quick and he depletes really quick. So if I don't give him carbs, he flattens out like that. Yeah. And when he feels flat, he doesn't feel good in the gym. So for me, I'm like, instead of having these like multi-day refeeds, I just want you eating a, a good amount of carbs on your training day so you stay full on those days. And then in the days in between, we're dropping carbs by like 50%. So you create a big deficit because his goal is to get shredded right now. So there's so many ways to go about it. I can't tell you. Should you do something? 100%. I think everybody should. I don't think there's very rarely anybody who I'm like, hey, we're going to go on a 12-week diet and we're not going to refeed at all. Um, even if somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, I have 60 pounds to lose. Uh, like, let's get after it. You probably don't need a refeed from a physiological standpoint, like your hormones and metabolism, stuff like that, because you have plenty of weight to lose. Yeah. Um, however, psychologically, I think you do. Like, just dieting every day for 12 weeks straight is tough. Like, why not give your mind a break once a week or once every two weeks? Um, so I think you should. I think you should do something like that. Um, and you probably should cut for eight more weeks. I think as long as that's staying under 16 weeks, I think you're probably safe um, if you're getting at it pretty hard. For sure. Did I answer Like, that was the main question, right? Like, how should she go about it? I know at the tail end, she had a couple specific questions. Yeah. Besides continue with boot camp, I just started with training at home. 
yeah, I would, I mean, I would up the volume of weight training too. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's going to help a ton. So weight training three to four times a week and then boot camping two to three times a week for cardio is probably smart. Yep. Lift heavy. Everybody should, listen to this. Lift should heavy. I, should I continue a cut for eight weeks and then reverse to maintenance? Should I do refeed days? You answered that. Yeah. And then of course reverse to maintenance. I think everybody should do that. But remember too, we're going to put out a video on this on IGTV. It might already be out by the time this goes. Remember that when you reverse, you're not reversing to your old maintenance. So if you started your cut at 2200 calories and you dropped them to 1800 and then 1600 you're like you're lowering your calories on deficit you can't bring your calories right back up to 2200 where you started after the diet because during a diet you lose weight when you lose weight metabolic adaptation occurs therefore not only does neat go down which is the biggest determining factor of metabolic adaptation it's the biggest calorie turnover inside of that whole theory of metabolic adaptation but you weigh less so you take less calories to survive and function Therefore, your true maintenance after a diet and losing 10 to 20 pounds or whatever it is, is not going to be that 2200 anymore. So when you reverse to maintenance, remember that you're probably reversing to 1900 or 2000, just a little bit less. For sure. All right, cool. Uh, Next question. It's going to be Kyle Rapp or Rapp. Rapp. Kyle Rapp. What advice do you have for clients going through a stressful time and don't have their usual appetite? I'm middle of, of a launch and last thing on my mind is food and having and having a difficult time eating sometimes, but I need our but I know I need to eat to grow. Plan, 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 plan. I think like yeah, plan ahead. Yeah, in, in those situations for me, like and this is to be completely transparent with you, this is every day of my life. This is why I eat the same thing every day. Is because we're busy as fuck and yeah. like I'm just constantly doing stuff. I don't like this sounds so ridiculous, but think about it. I don't have time to like think of new creative meals. Yeah. Um, the only time my, my meals change at all is dinner. And that's according to Shannon. Yeah. And she essentially, but she like, God bless her. She basically knows my macros and yeah. just like, man, she knows that like, okay, we're going to have some kind of veggie, some kind of meat, some kind of starch. And he's probably going to, you know, I'm, he knows I'm going to cook with olive oil. So I add fat to that meal and it's just like that. So when I come home, it's always steak chicken fish pork something and then you know broccoli asparagus green beans brussels some kind of green and then sweet potato rice some kind of starch i eat the same dessert every day same breakfast same lunch it's just like clockwork but because i do that i never think about it um and it's just always there so even yesterday with like yesterday i I wasn't hungry at all just because i was like kind of anxious about the launch and everything and i have like my time blocks and it said lunch and i was like oh yeah shit i gotta eat and my lunch was already done. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to put it in my app. It was just done. I eat the same fucking lunch every day. So I just grabbed it, ate it, went back to work. And I think that's the answer, honestly, because if you listen to your hunger cues, two things are going to happen. You're, you're stressed and anxious about your launch in this case, but anybody in general, and you don't eat. Now, not only are you supporting your physique goals, but you're also encouraging more cortisol production because when we eat food, specifically calories like carbohydrates that spike insulin, cortisol drops, stress is relieved. We have less anxiety. So I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, and then I eat, it kind of lowers that anxiety because there's a parasympathetic response to food. If you don't eat, that anxiety continues. So you're shooting yourself in the foot by avoiding eating. And if you listen to your body, your cortisol is higher. When cortisol is higher, it's not thinking of rest and digest. It is thinking of fight or flight. That's the whole point of sympathetic versus parasympathetic. So your body's not going to tell you you're hungry. You have to force it to eat. Um, And basically for me, that just means planning. So like for me, I eat the same breakfast, same lunch every day. I have a time block in my calendar. So when I'm working from home in the morning before I come to the office, I'm doing work, doing work, doing work. My alarm goes off and it says eat. And I'm like, oh, yeah, shit, I got to go downstairs. I cook my meal, eat, get back to work, come to the office. Noon, it goes off again, eat, got to eat. Um, and then I come home for dinner and it's there. You know what I mean? So, like, I already know it's like clockwork. Yeah. But, but it, t- it took a lot of planning. Yeah. It yeah. took a, you, you planned it out at the beginning and yeah. then you just leave it be. And honestly, for people who are trying to lose fat, I think that's like, there's this balance between like some people get really bored of the same food. So we have to practice more uh, flexible dieting and we give like a, a recipe book every month and stuff like that to all of our clients. But for some people, it's helpful to simplify it. Yeah. So for me, it's like, okay, for breakfast, protein, fat, carb, boom, done. Lunch, protein, fat, carb, boom, done. Dinner, protein, fat, carb. I keep it very simple and I just repeat it so I don't have to think about it. Because for me, if I have to think about it, that's what creates more stress or more uh, potential for error. If I don't have to think about it, like I don't even use my fitness pal because I eat the same fucking thing every day. Um, the only thing that changes is dinner has either a little bit more fat if it's steak, a little bit less fat if it's chicken. And honestly, if it has less fat, I literally grab a spoonful of peanut butter and just eat peanut butter to get my fats up. 
at the end of the day because everybody loves peanut butter. Yeah. Um, if we have a fatty piece of steak or salmon, I just keep the peanut butter out. <laughs> and it's like, and we're good. Um, but I think that's the answer, man. I think just plan ahead and have time blocks that are reminders to say like eat um, and you'll feel way better. But it's just planning. And just repeat the same shit every day. Yeah. Simple. If you can. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question is from Rhiannon Healy. Man, I tell you what, somebody that asks great questions mm-hmm. all the time, Rhiannon. And a lot. It's awesome. A lot of questions. Can you do a mini cut during a recovery diet if you are doing it for the long-term benefit point of view? Completely selfish question. Been doing a reverse and been doing a reverse and had a horrible biofeedback, so went to a recovery diet. Went from, oh, you got me, Rian. 49 kilograms? <laughs> went from 47 kilograms to 69 kilograms at 5.3. Biofeedback still isn't great. Much better than it was. So it's tough. I think that, like, because I know her, I'd say no. Yeah. Because I know that putting yourself into deficit is not good for you right now. Um, you have worked with me in the past. You worked with somebody else I know as well. I don't know if you're still working with that person. Um, so I know about you. You've asked plenty of questions. I know that your your uh, your physiology is stressed. It's taxed. You have a stressed body. Therefore, adding more deficits and stress is not a good idea. Yeah. Um, it's hard because I understand where you're at. Like you don't want to. I mean, you want to get rid of the excess weight that you gained during a recovery diet. But at the same time, is you got to remember, like, why did you start a recovery diet? Yeah, you know what I mean? Shot biofeedback. Yeah, yeah. like, and it was, uh, like, kudos to you for doing a reverse, noticing that it wasn't working, and then jumping to a recovery diet and just bumping your calories up. I think that was smart. Uh, but another thing, like, so, like, long story short, I think if you're doing a reverse or a recovery diet and you're in a position where you are unhealthy and you need to chase health, I think the answer is simply no. You just have to be patient and wait it out. Um, if, the, if you are doing like a actually yeah that's it i mean that's it the only time i could even see that it would be smart to do so when you're reversing your calories up is if you're in a lean gaining phase so like i've had people where i'm like you've been at maintenance for a long time now we're gaining and we're slowly increasing calories because we want you to gain weight yeah but we push a little bit past your threshold you gained a little bit too much body fat so your insulin sensitivity is kind of shot we're gonna do a mini cut and then we're gonna come back to it and all we're doing there is spending at least two weeks, but up to six weeks, dropping calories, mainly a lot of carbohydrates to deplete, to uh, increase your insulin sensitivity, to cut off a few pounds of fat, and then get back to lean gaining. But you're in a good place from a health standpoint when we do that. During a recovery diet, you're probably not, and that's why you're doing a recovery diet. So most likely I'd say no. And then the other side of this too is I want people to understand is like if you're doing a reverse recovery diet and you bring your calories up, and you're waiting for your biofeedback to improve and it's not, so you just keep increasing and increasing and increasing, I don't think that's always the answer. Rather, you should probably increase your calories to where you know your body should start feeling better. If it doesn't, but you know mathematically you are where you need to be with your food, yeah. potentially you could just stay there and it's just time. It's not necessarily like, well, I'm, I'm in a slight surplus and I still feel like shit. Do I need to be in a huge surplus? It's like, no, you probably just need to be in that slight surplus for longer. way longer. Oh, way longer, yeah. And it's just time or a little. I mean, the point being is be patient, right? Just it's extra just, time. Yeah, just extra time, period. Yeah. Um, because your body's going to be repairing in that slight surplus. So just give it time to repair. I mean, if you look at like a diet, like somebody diets for uh, a show, which I think is her situation, for 16 to 20 weeks to prep for the show where they put their body in the leanest state possible – they expect a reverse diet to work in a month. And yeah. it's like, well, you just took four or five months getting down there. Like, how about we take at least four or five months at maintenance yeah. before you start feeling better and everything is 100% again? So, so, in a client's point of view, in my point of view, I'm just asking you, when you go to somebody, you say, just give it time. Obviously, there were, you know, you just said four to five months, or you say, you know, what is give it time? Obviously, yeah. it's individualized. But I think. What, when you tell that somebody, yeah, I think, so in my experience, if you're doing like a, if you're doing a reverse or recovery diet smart to where you bring your calories up high enough to actually start making a change Mm -hmm. pretty rapidly, um, usually at least half the time you were dieting is what it takes to start feeling better. So like, let's say you dieted for six months. If you reverse recovery for three months, you should start feeling better. For some individuals, that's as long as you dieted. So if Mm -hmm. you dieted for six months, it'll take six months of reversing and maintenance to feel not necessarily feel better, but to be back to 100% physiology. And the reason I say six months, which is like, and some people will even argue uh, it's 1.5 times, so nine months. And I think the reason we argue for this one to 1.5 times 
margin, which seems like a really long time, is because we know that in your mind you're going to diet again. So it's not a matter of like, hey, you dieted, we're going to shift you to maintenance and then we want you to just feel better. It's we want you to be able to diet again and lose fat again. Yeah. So it's different. So if you feel better in three months and you try to jump on a diet and it still doesn't work and you're confused, this is why. You feel better after three months. Now focus on another three months of just maintaining and building muscle, so on and so forth. And after that six-month period, which is as long as you dieted in the first place that you were recovering from, then we might be able to say, okay, now you can jump into another cut and actually be successful with it. But otherwise, you're just spinning your tail. If you jump back into a cut too soon, now you're putting yourself back in a stressful position and you're not getting anything out of it because your body's not losing any fat. And now you have to go through that whole process again. So I always tell people like six months might seem like a long time. If you died at six, reverse six, like that seems like a long time. But at the same time, if you don't do that, it's going to be even longer before you actually have a successful fat loss phase. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Good point. I'm glad you asked that question because I think that's a, that's a good applicable takeaway for people. All right. Uh, looks like the last question. Perfect. Would love to know where you would start when training an average age individual, 70 plus. Hold on. Let me just see this a second. Not average. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Definitely not average. All right. Would love to know where you would start when, when training an advanced age uh, individual, 70 plus. This individual is an ex-pro baseball player, used to be extremely fit, hasn't done much over the last decade, though. Uh, he has expressed his desire to jump again and do a push-up. He can perform squats without assistance, but has lost the connection on being able to jump. How would you go? How would you go about programming his training to be able to hopefully one day succeed at both of these goals? Yeah, I think like my first priorities would be training him in the way that I think he needs to be trained, just for health and longevity. Um, so I'd be looking at like balance stuff. I'd be looking at like posterior chain stuff. I'd be looking at like sitting like box squats, like bodyweight box squats, um, and then explosive stuff that's very low risk. Um, those explosive things are going to fire the CNS. The central nervous system is one of the things that starts to decline with age. So somebody who is 70 has a very slow uh, reaction time because their nervous system is not like like ours is. Yeah. Um, because of that, when they fall, they can't catch themselves because they can't react. They break their hip. That's how a lot of that's one of the leading causes of death in elderly. Um, and this is why. So for people like that, I'm like, what's the lowest risk reaction that I can give them? S sit them down on a box, toss a tennis ball over there. He's got to catch a tennis ball. So like the tennis ball bounces in front of him, he's got to catch it. When you bounce a tennis ball, it's kind of like multi-directional. It just kind of bounces wherever. But if his hand-eye coordination has to grab it wherever it's going and try to catch it, even if he doesn't catch it every time, he's responding and reacting quicker and quicker and quicker. And you're training that nervous system. Um, kneeling slams great exercise. You get a fucking four pound ball, very light, pick it up over their head, tell them to slam it on the floor as hard as they fucking can. Kneeling. Very kneeling, very low risk. They don't even have to squat into it because they're kneeling and they can be explosive. Um, stand in front of them and let them throw a ball from his chest at you. Like that's explosive. So all the things to turn on the nervous system are going to be key in order for him to be able to jump because for him jumping, even if he could ex like actually leave the floor and jump, his, his reaction to be able to land is where the issue is, and that's usually where people hurt themselves on yeah. the jump. So I would start with just the general like low-risk, uh, low-injury risk, uh, CNS primers to just get them moving quicker and reacting. And once you start to see his reaction time improve and you see his response um, improve because the CNS is starting to work better, then you can incorporate like a seated jump. So like you're literally sitting down, and then like I want you to stand up explosively. So he stands up as quick as he can. Sit down. Stand up as quick as you can. And then eventually it's like, hey, when you stand up as quick as you can, I want you to like leave the floor a little bit or just do a toe raise. Yeah. So leave the floor, go onto his toes. And then eventually it's like, give me a little hop. You know what I mean? And then after that, you can just do standing like, let me get a jump. Um, but you might also realize too, like as you start getting his nervous system to function well and everything, he might not be tied to the mission of like, I need to jump. It might be like the pursuit of jumping that actually gives him that fulfillment. So like as you're doing these things, this could take months, but as he's going through these things, he feels so much better. His reaction time improves. He feels athletic again. That's all he fucking cares about. To him, he associates being able to jump with the feeling of confidence and athleticism For sure. that he used to have. So I think like getting him to feel that in the process versus attaching it to this one movement yeah. is the key. You know, and I think that's the problem with a lot of people like the, we were talking about the deadlift earlier, deadlifting from the floor. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's strength. Yeah. Well, is it? Like, you don't need to do it from the floor. Like, you just want to be able just to – five more inches. Exactly. Yeah. Um, not even. And yeah. and so, like, I think getting him to focus on the process is the big key. And then with push-ups, you could literally just 
like literally regress the incline, like have them start on a wall, push up on a wall and then push up on a table, then push up on a high box, then push up on a bench and then a push up on a barbell and then push ups on a parallel and then push ups on the floor on his knees. And then eventually on a step. like you literally just go from basically standing, doing push ups all the way down until the pendulum touches the floor yeah. over the course of months. Um, Is there a uh, set of reps or something you should do until you should uh, individual down. you know what i mean i think like i think until we can do five you could, yeah angle. i was gonna say you could probably set up like standards for the, each individual like um full range full range of motion 10 reps on the wall and then you can progress to the the next level you know what i mean like you just you, keep going if you have you know rpe of eight or exactly yeah um making sure they're not like failing on that yeah yeah um and yeah i think that's it and i mean obviously you could add things like you know like cable presses dumbbell presses things like that that are still working the same movement patterns, but because of his age, the nervous system is the thing that you need to turn on. And we have to remember that a movement also has a skill component to it, and that's neurological. So you could do a bunch of pressing variations, and then he goes to do a push up, and there's just no connection because the nervous system hasn't practiced that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how I'd answer. That's a good yep. question. That's awesome. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomperformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here, and I'll see you next time.